I slowed down that much. Like during the during the bridge, just just took the edge off. Just took the edge off. That was it. That was it. I think that's gonna keep slowing it down a bit. The inspiration. So 10,000 10, reasons should start with chorus, verse 1, chorus, chorus line. Pretty sure that's how it goes. But we'll see. Yes. Shorter one. <laughs> Laura's sister didn't get her driver's license until she was 18. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think she only did it because she, she had a job in college and needed to get there. Oh, good. Yeah. She has to pay you every time to take you take her anywhere. <laughs> or else you're walking the last mile home. <laughs> Could be in the film.
there any questions about those songs we just did? Any preguntas? Haley's song. It's no longer you say, it's Haley say. Oh. Time it, time it. I might learn this someday. I might just learn it I got a bloody lip this week. Ah, exactly. There we go. I knew both of those were coming. Figured there'd be more. Teaching. It's, I, Sam asked me, he said, uh, he, said, uh, he said, show me some wrestling moves. <laughs> no problem. And, uh, so I showed him some wrestling moves. And he said, well, I don't like this. I'm not having fun with this. He says, because I can't move. I can't get out. And I said, well, buddy, I said, you got to fight back. You know, you got you to struggle. Get out of that. He says, okay. Crack! Right across. Bam! I said, all right, time out, time out, time out. <laughs> got a paper towel. You know, I said, we, we, need to, we need to explain the rules here about wrestling, action wrestling. It's a little bit of an overcorrection, I think, you know. Wanted him to wrestle back, not fight back. Should have said wrestle back, not fight back. We got, uh, we got ice Thursday night, Friday, and... There's the temptation. You've, you've probably experienced this at some point. You're driving along and you sort, start to slide, start to slip, start to lose control. And you correct, right? You correct the car, you correct the trajectory, and, and, and there's, a, there's a limit. There's a line. You don't want to overcorrect. Once you overcorrect, you can get in a lot of trouble. You can get yourself into trouble. You can get other people into trouble, oncoming traffic into trouble. I mean, there's, there's only so far you want to go. You know, you hear stories of people driving along that kind of slip off the edge of the road. Well, in a, that right there is not a big deal. You're okay. Don't panic. You know, you just bring the car back on the road. Where the wrecks come is when people panic and they overcorrect. Jerk the car back onto the road into oncoming traffic or whatever it might be. Overcorrection. Overcorrection can be very dangerous. Not only can overcorrecting hurt you, overcorrecting can hurt other people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Once again, we have the gift of worship together, of study, of learning, applying, look into your word and know that it might speak to us, that it might change us, that it might challenge us, cause us to see the world in a different way. We thank you for that today, Father. We ask, uh, we ask a particular blessing, Father, upon, upon this message today. 
upon this parable that Jesus tells that it might fall upon our ear and bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Sometimes we overcorrect, and, 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 and this is one of the, the trials. I think this is one of the difficulties that we face in life. I think it's one of the difficulties the church faces. And, and, uh, forget about that. I don't think it's one of the difficulties. I know it's one of the difficulties that the church faces in our culture. Sometimes we, we, we overcorrect from zeal or we overcorrect from excitement. We overcorrect from misdirected zeal. And we correct so far to the point of apathy or we correct so far to the point of stagnation. Apathy, church, is far worse than misdirected zeal. We've been talking about this this opportunity of service in scripture opportunity to serve jesus kingdom we're looking at a number of areas and ways in which we serve in our lives yes in this building don't forget that but in our lives in general as we are good stewards we began looking at some of the gifts that we're presented through the holy spirit and over the next three weeks we will break those down We'll bring them down next week, then we'll have a Mission Sunday, and then we'll conclude the week after that. But the issue, when we, when we hear about these areas of service, when we hear about these strengths that the Holy Spirit gives us, we, we usually read these from Romans and from 1 Corinthians. You're in Matthew chapter 25, and we'll get there in a moment. But the issue in the Corinthian church when it came to service The issue in the Corinthian church when it came to experiencing and realizing and putting to use the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the fact that everyone was desiring gifts for themselves as as sort of this statement of their faith or a statement of their importance. They cared a great deal about self-edification, self-building, Rather than working for and building up the rest of the church, we know that the gifts we are given, that the service, the opportunities we are given are, built, are, are given to us for the building of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says this. This will be on your screen. Stay in Matthew chapter 25. We'll be there in a minute. Anyone who speaks in a tongue, for example, he's just using this example here. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. This is what they were trying to do. Listen to me. Watch what I can do. Paul goes on to say, but the one who prophesies, that is, teaches, edifies the church. He says, look, bottom line is, I would like all of you to have that spiritual gift of speaking in different languages, but I'd rather have you teach somebody. I'd rather have you sit down and serve somebody to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone's there to interpret. Why? So that the church may be built up, not just the person. They wanted showy gifts. And not only that, they wanted to compare gifts and areas of service inside the church. They were claiming gifts of prophecy from the Holy Spirit. They went so far as to claim gifts of prophecy that were not from the Holy Spirit. In fact, they were at odds with the Word of God. And yet it built them up and it made them feel important. And so they tried to work in these ways. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. 
Therefore, I want you to know in your church and these people who are serving and all of these things that they're doing and they're saying, therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. These are some of the things they were doing, engaging in pagan practices. They were suggesting that some parts of the gospel were not true. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, some of these examples that we see in 1 Corinthians are false teaching. But many in the Corinthian church suffer from what I would call misdirected zeal, misguided power. But at the very least, it's desire. I want to be doing this. I want to be a part of this. I want to have some area of service. And while that's not the proper way to serve Christ's kingdom that we see in 1 Corinthians, overcorrecting to the point of stagnation is no service at all. Who are you? What is your life? What are you doing here? As you fulfill your purpose, making your bodies, making your lives, living sacrifices to Jesus Christ, remember Romans chapter 12, that's your job. That's your purpose of life. Make yourself living sacrifice to Jesus Christ. Jesus tells this, says this of you and me, Matthew chapter 5, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. You are the light of the world. Instead, they put that light on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Remember, we've mentioned, talked about the fact that your walk with Christ is extremely personal. It's never meant to be private. Your walk with Christ is extremely personal. It's never meant to be private. Oh, there's private areas. There's private aspects, a particular prayer that you have or, or not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing and giving. I get that. But I mean your sacrifice, your purpose, living out your walk with Jesus Christ. Personal but not private. I think most people in this room would agree that we live in a dark world. Look around. Somebody said the other day, I heard him, they said, I'd like to go just five minutes without another world catastrophe happening. We hear, heard about another one over the past couple of days. We live in a dark world. And you're the light. Why do we live in a dark world then? Huh? I'm the light. Every person in this room, this building, Every person believes in Jesus, walks with Christ, is the light. Why do we live in such a dark world? It's tempting. It's tempting, I think, to say to ourselves, that's not my place, right? I'm not very good at this. This is probably not my calling. I'm going to mess this up. I'm, going to make, I'm too busy. I'm going to make a mistake. I'm not going to do it right. Trust me, if I didn't do anything, if I, if I stopped doing all things I didn't do correctly, I wouldn't do anything. There's a lot of mistakes that I make throughout life. Misguided, misdirected zeal. 
is something that can be corrected. It can be aimed. It can be focused. But apathy? Stagnation? You know, John and James and Peter are great examples of zeal in Scripture. Peter vowed to follow Jesus wherever he would go. He, he then went so far and denied that he would ever let anything happen to Jesus, for which he was rebuked. Then he cut off the guard's ear in the garden, for which he was rebuked. Jesus is always yelling at Peter. It was misguided zeal. Yet Christ used Peter, became a pillar of this church that we're now in today. James and John, great examples of misguided excitement, misguided zeal. They wanted to call down fire from heaven to consume some people that insulted them. And Jesus basically, in our parlance, basically stops them and says, Really, guys, fire, come on. You really want to do that? This is where he calls them sons of thunder, recognizing that there's a great power there, that there's great excitement there, that there's great zeal there. It was misguided, but Christ was then able to use James and John because of their desire to be involved in the kingdom. Who was Christ unable to use? Who were not fit to serve? Those who walked away. Tragic story. Where Jesus, we talked about this, uh, boy, they all run together. We talked about this last year. Some of the crazy things, right, that we hear in Scripture. Unless you eat my flesh, drink my blood. At that point, a lot of people left. A lot of people walked out. A lot of people left Jesus. Those are the ones Jesus couldn't use. Those who chose to do nothing. In the case of Judas, those who cared more about themselves than they cared about Christ and his church. Had nothing to do with misdirected, misguided zeal. Jesus can aim that. He can focus that. He could use that power. But the ones who walked out, he couldn't. See, this is the parable of the talents. And if you've been reading through Matthew chapter five as you're, 25 as you're sitting here, you, you know this story. You've probably heard this story before. The parable of the talents. It talks about the tragedy of wasted gifts and wasted opportunity. By the way, this story is not talking about one's natural ability. All right, forget about that. We see in Scripture that these are granted to these servants by Jesus Christ. And, 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 and tragically, one of them does not put it to use. It's not a natural ability. It's a gift given. Rather, these are chances and empowerment that we are given to serve Christ's kingdom. I like the way the NIV writes it because the NIV says that they were given bags of gold or a certain amount of gold. Sometimes when we say the word talent, we forget that that's just a measurement. That's an amount of something. And we think, well, it's got to be something I'm good at. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. And, and this whole discourse talks about what the kingdom of heaven is like. Jesus starts this in, in, the, in the story before the sermon, or story before the talents. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like. This is not some future or completed or completely realized kingdom. This is the kingdom now, the kingdom here, the kingdom today, the kingdom that you live in. 
This is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Matthew 25, he's just got done saying, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And now he goes into another example, Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. Again, it, that is the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. A man leaving, the master leaving, the master of the kingdom, the master of the home, the master of the house. He's going away for a while. Does this sound familiar to anyone? The master leaves for a time, and he calls his servants. He doesn't call one servant or two servants. He calls three servants, and he calls them his servants. And he entrusted what he had to them. He wanted them to be good stewards. Being a good steward is about your life. Don't, don't get tunnel vision on me here, okay? It's not just about the money you have. Being a good steward is about everything that you've been given. Your life, your opportunity, your chance to serve Jesus Christ. And I don't care how that's done but a way to do it properly and to serve Jesus. He calls his servants and entrusts his wealth to them. To one of them, he gives five bags of gold. He gives numerous opportunities and chances to serve. Gives numerous opportunities and chances to invest their life. Gives them numerous spiritual gifts in their life. Ways in which they can serve that the Holy Spirit blesses us, gives us power in this desire. To one, he gave five. That sounds pretty good. To another, he gave two. Now, see, it's very tempting, right? It's tempting for the second guy to say, hey, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. I want five. I want more opportunities. I want more chances. I want greater gifts. I want more gifts. I want, I want all of these things that you've given to the first one. Jesus says, hey, take what you have and use it to build my kingdom. Forget about the rest of it. You take what you have and use it to build my kingdom. That's your life. And to another, he gave one bag, each according to his ability. Paul talks about this at length. This is the grace poured out to you and me through the Holy Spirit of God. He determines, he chooses, he sets, he wants these abilities in our life in order to serve Jesus Christ. He knows you better than you know you. He knows me better than I know me. And then he went on his journey. And the man left. This is Acts. Acts chapter 1 is the end of Matthew. It's the end of John. This is Acts chapter 1. He went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold, that is numerous opportunity, numerous chances. The man who received numerous ways in which he could serve, spiritual gifts in his life. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. He didn't let the grass grow under his feet, did he? He left. He said, if this is important to my master, it's important to me. 
He says, look, I don't know when the master is going to return. In fact, I don't even know what tomorrow's going to bring when it comes to my chance to serve. So I'm going to take whatever I have, this life, this body, this person right here, I'm going to take what I have, and I'm going to invest that in some way in Jesus' kingdom. And I'm going to start now. I'm going to start soon. I'm going to head off down the road. I don't even know if he knew exactly where he was going. But he had the excitement. He had the zeal. So also the one with two bags of gold. And he gained two more. So he was excited too. He followed the first one. He didn't hang his head. He didn't think, oh, no, I've not been given the same opportunity, the same gifts. No, he took what he had and he set off resolutely. But the man who'd received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. He'd been given tremendous gifts. He'd been given tremendous opportunity. He'd had his eyes open to what his master wanted. And he dug a hole and he put it in the ground. Wasted it. Squandered it. Never had this moment in his life when he looked at the gift of his life that Jesus had given him and said, what are you doing with this? Because I'll tell you, time goes fast, doesn't it? The days drag on, but the years fly by. And the man with one never took this moment, realized how fleeting time was, his chance to serve in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Whether it's helping, serving, having a conversation, whether it's prayer, whether it's giving, whether it's teaching, whether it's prophesying, whether it's showing mercy, requires nothing but the condition of the heart. He did nothing with what he'd been given. I don't know what you've been given. I don't know how much. I don't know all the various ways in which the Spirit works in you. Some of you, some of you I do. Some of you I can see it, I realize it. I don't know all the opportunities that you've been given in your life. But I know that no matter how many or how few, every one you come across is very serious and valuable. Every one of them you come across is a gift from Jesus Christ that he puts into your lap. Even the one with one bag of gold. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned to settle accounts. After a long time. You see, this tells me a couple of things. Number one, it seems that Jesus tarries. It seems that he takes a while. But we have no idea when he returns. It also tells me this. Sometimes it takes a while for our investment to see fruit in the church and in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. This is the life you gave me, Jesus. 
And from that, there was fruit. There were people saved, people introduced to you, people whose lives have been changed, hearts have been changed. Not only have they been changed, but their homes have been changed. And once their homes were changed, the next generation was changed. And then after that, and after that, and after that. Why? Because I put to use this life that you gave me. Is that all he did? No. It's reasonable to assume he did other things in life. It's reasonable to assume he went off to, to his job every morning. That he went on vacation. That he had hobbies. It's reasonable to assume all of these things. But this life that he was given. He invested in Jesus' kingdom through teaching, through serving, through giving, through showing mercy, through gaining wisdom, through imparting knowledge, being steeped in prayer. And he goes to the master with confidence. Do you have confidence? Ask yourself this. Ask yourself if you have confidence. In your service. About your service. Not to me. I get that. Jesus. His church. His kingdom. Again. These walls. Outside of these walls. Where you work. How you go and have fun. Your own family. Whatever it might be. Do you have confidence? The first man. Walks into the master's home. With confidence. Not arrogance, not swagger, right? But with confidence. He knew it was a time to celebrate. He knew he was going to celebrate with the master and the master was going to celebrate with him. Jesus does not talk about the areas where he might have messed up or the areas where he might have made a mistake or where some things were invested a little poorly. No, he looks at this fruit out of this life that he's been given. And they celebrate together. And the guy knows it. He walks in with confidence and he says, look, I've gained five more. His master replied, verse 21. This is where this comes from, by the way. Investing your life in the kingdom of Jesus Christ, this is where you get this line, well done, good and faithful servant. This line doesn't come from a story in scripture where somebody accepts Jesus and just exists. We want to hear that, don't we? You've told me in this room you want to hear that. I want to hear that. I want to come into the throne room with confidence, with joy, with celebration. This is where the line comes from. You've invested your life into my kingdom you did other things along the way. Good for you. But you invested the life in my kingdom. Well done, good and faithful servant. But then the second guy shows up. The second guy didn't have nearly the opportunity. Didn't have nearly the same spiritual gifts granted to him. Right? The first guy had five. The second guy only had two. And he comes into the throne room. He comes into the master's house 
And he says, Master, you gave me two bags of gold. You gave me two talents. You gave me two gifts of the Holy Spirit. You gave me two opportunities to teach or to preach or talk to my neighbor about Jesus. You gave me two opportunities to sing. You gave me two opportunities to prophesy, whatever it is. You gave me two, and I've gained two more. What was Jesus' response? Ah, you did okay. You did all right. I mean, trust me, you're not as important to me as the guy who had five. You did okay. Is that what Jesus says? He says, no. He says, well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. Come and share in your master's joy. Come and share in the kingdom. Come and share in the fruit of your labor. What is the fruit of your labor? All of these folks, these people who are served by you, who come to see the face of Jesus Christ in your life and in your service, come and share in that fruit. Whether you've got five or whether you've got two, it doesn't matter. Even the one that came in with two came in with confidence. You've been faithful with a few things, he tells the one with five and the one with two. I will now put you in charge of many things. Come and share in happiness. There's two temptations sometimes on two ends of the scale. And that is to compare our gifts, to compare our service, to compare the fruit. You have very little control over the fruit, if any at all. You have control over the obedience. You have control over taking your life and using it for Jesus' kingdom. And like any investment, you're probably going to make some mistakes, right? There's going to be some highs and lows, some mistakes along the way. There's going to be one day where you look back and think, boy, I wish I could have made a, a different choice there. But you have control over the obedience, not over the fruit. Don't compare your gifts, and your returns. Whether you have many, don't compare them to some who have few. Whether you have few, don't compare them to some who have many. Compare it to the obedience and submission that you showed in your life. The desire that you show in your life. These two examples, this, this giving you this charge over many things, this is fruit for your investment. Jesus is not necessarily saying here that if you invest one spiritual gift, you're going to receive another. That's not what he's saying. That's, that's just, that's too self-centered. That's a too self-centered way of thinking of this. He's telling us that if we invest the gifts we've been given, the time we've been given, the opportunity we've been given, the life we've been given, fruit is going to be multiplied in Christ's kingdom because of our labor. Verse 24, then the man who had received one bag of gold came in. One bag of gold. Master, I knew that you were a hard man. Harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered. I knew you were a hard man. I knew you had a moral standard. I knew that you wanted my life done well and done right. Is that not what Jesus wants for us? To follow his example. He says, I knew that you were a hard man. 
Verse 25, so I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Here's what belongs to you. I didn't lose it, right? I didn't lose your investment. I didn't use it, but I didn't use it. I'm okay, right? I did okay, didn't I? I didn't go out and do the work. I didn't take the risk. I didn't invest the time. I was too filled with fear. I was too filled with this, this fear of not wanting to make a mistake or the, the time that it would take to do it. So I hid in the ground, buried in the ground what you'd given me. But I didn't lose it. Here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy You know what troubles me the most about that line, you wicked, lazy servant? The word servant. It doesn't say you wicked, lazy enemy. He says you wicked, lazy servant. So easy for us, isn't it? If we, if we trick ourselves to allow ourselves to think that Jesus is talking to someone who has no idea who he is. Some evil person on the other side of the world. He says, wicked and lazy servant. It's a dark world. You're the light of the world. What happened? You knew about me. You knew who I was. You read about me. You heard about me. You were taught about me. You knew that I harvest where I haven't sown seed, gather where I haven't scattered seed. Then you should have put the money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I could have received it back with interest. You should have done the least amount instead of just existing. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags for it. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them that's the second time in scripture he says this and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth church there is a response by definition you got to read this stuff and study it by definition there is a response to your faith if there is no response there is no faith you understand that? You are hearing these words today. Now, again, don't limit yourself to these four walls, all right? We're talking about your service as the church in this world. There is a response. James says, we learned this from Randy uh, last week. James says that a faith without works, without a response, is a worthless faith. Worthless. Three servants to respond to that profession that they made. One does not. Wicked and lazy throw him out into darkness. There's no such thing as trust in Jesus that goes its whole life and squanders the opportunities and gifts 
given to serve Christ's kingdom. It is done in many ways. It's done in different amounts. In church, it's done at different times. Don't, don't worry about those things. We see that very clearly by Jesus' parable here. But your life being used to serve Jesus' kingdom and this being the goal and focus is a life well lived. Even to the very last guy, he says, okay, so you couldn't double it. So what? You should have at least done what you could. Look, we don't want to be given to fantasies of self-promotion. We don't want to be given to envy or covetousness like the, like the Corinthians, okay? But we dare not overcorrect and bury it in the ground. Notice the warning. This is not an award. This is a warning. Whoever has will be given more, and they'll have an abundance. Whoever does not have it, even what they do have will be taken from them. Jesus uses this one other time when it comes to knowledge and understanding of Scripture. Those who build upon what they've been given will gain more knowledge and understanding and wisdom in Scripture. He used the same line when it comes to service in the kingdom. Those who build upon and pursue, those who show the excitement for Christ in his kingdom and the service that you have in it, will now build upon that and gain more and more. What? Opportunity. But the main thing is fruit that comes back in the form of lives. In the form of generations changed. Households and homes. Don't let it go to waste. Faithful service will yield fruit. Note also the two other servants. Uh, Cody's been teaching in his class that these areas of service, these gifts that we've been given are something you have to, uh, among other things, two things, something you have to own and something you have to try. When did the journeying man, the master house, when did he tell the first two to invest their gifts? Where did he tell them to invest? How did he tell them to invest? For how long did he tell them to invest? When did he take them out and, and, and set up the meeting? When did he tell them this or order them there? He said, look, here's a gift. Here's a chance. Here's an opportunity. Here is empowerment from the Holy Spirit. Take this out and serve Christ's kingdom with it. Invest it. And see your return. Well, it wasn't set up for me, right? I wasn't asked. I didn't know what to say. They didn't present themselves. They responded in a different way. They didn't do this. Somebody else didn't do that. Master House didn't do any of that stuff. He said, look, here's the gift. Now go. You've got to own it. This is what Cody's been trying to teach his class as well. You've got to own this, and you've got to try it. And anytime you try to invest, there's some risk involved. There is some risk involved. He was gone for a long time. But do not be deceived. Galatians chapter 6. God cannot be mocked. God cannot be mocked. No matter how long the master is gone, no matter how many opportunities that we think are not right for us or set for us, no matter how much we don't believe scripture, that we don't have a desire and a gift from God himself in our lives to serve the kingdom, make no mistake, God 
cannot be mocked. You may fool yourself. You may fool me. I try to trick myself all the time, talk myself in all kinds of things and out of all, all kinds of other things. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh is not going to re- reap reward. They're going to reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the spirit from that spirit will reap eternal life. Do not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, right? You're investing your life and there's a return. At the proper time, we are going to reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, these are the things granted to us by Jesus Christ. Let us do good to all people. Read the last part of that line. Especially, if nothing else, especially to those who belong to the family of belief. What is your life? Hmm? What will be your memorial? Where are you storing your treasure? This was, this was the, the moment. This was the eye-opening thing. I've told the story a million times. I'm sitting there on the tractor, mowing along, and I thought, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? There's a whole kingdom out there for you to serve. What are you doing? I'm not saying you've got to become a preacher. That's not the point. The point is there has to be this moment where you ask yourself, am I serving an eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ? Am I investing the life that he has given me? Am I going to make mistakes along the way? Yes, of course you do. Everybody does when they invest. But there is a return from this, a return in the lives of others, a return even in your own life, your own mind, your own heart, to walk into the throne room with confidence, not arrogance, with confidence. You gave me this. I invested it. And look at the people. Look at the person who came to understand and know who Jesus is. Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the challenge. This is always challenging. This this part in your word, Father, is always challenging. You know, Father, I have I have ignored it sometimes because of the challenge that it has. Don't let me ignore it any longer. In my life, teach my son the same that cares deeply about the eternal kingdom that I'm a part of, that I get to live in. Help me, Father, put this upon my heart, that this might be my definition, our definition, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing.
folks, the next three weeks are going to be huge, okay? Next week, we begin talking about uh, some of these spiritual gifts and actually breaking down exactly what they are and what they mean. This is going to begin to resonate in your mind and your heart as you see the definition. You're going to say to yourself, wow, this is, this is really something I could be a part of. This is really something I could do. Or you're going to say, well, look, clearly, <laughs> I have absolutely no desire to do that at all. There's got to be a way in which I can serve. After that, we're going to have a time of looking at our missions and how we can serve there. Then we're going to continue breaking down some of these things. And then we ask the question, do I have the right to focus on my single bag of gold and do it well? Or do I have to focus on two or five bags of gold and do it well? Moses wasn't able to enter the promised land. Why did it seem like God had such a higher standard for Moses? than he did for some other people that were traveling through the wilderness. We're going to see in this Exodus story as we continue what it means to serve God, what it means to reach the goal. It's going to be a very interesting journey. I, I want you to be a part of it. Okay, let's thank God for our time. And Father, we thank you <coughs> for the love you've given us. We thank you, Father, for the challenge that you give us. We thank you also, Father, that, 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 that all of these things, all of these things are, are an amazing gift if we, if, if we see it that way. The chance, the chance to, to add our verse, as the poets say. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So I got punched in the mouth this week. Um, yeah. There's two. Anybody else? <laughs> there it is. There it is. There's three. And there's three. Yeah, split my lip. Uh, and uh, I think I made a mistake. Sam said, hey, Dad, show me some wrestling moves. Mistake number one. I said, okay. Um, just little ones, you know, like things you learn first year, you know, stuff. And um, so we were wrestling. I was showing him a couple things, single leg takedown, double leg takedown, stuff like that. We were wrestling. And he got frustrated, got kind of upset. He said, well, this isn't fun. He says, because I can't move. Um, and here's mistake number two. What I should have said was, well, buddy, you got to wrestle back, you know. That's not what I said. I said, well, buddy, you got to fight back. Mistake number two. Crack right here. I mean, just bam. Lands one. He's like this big around, you know. <laughs> Half laid out. Ah, oh, you know. Blood coming out. Paper towel, whatever. Um, I, I, I need to be more specific, uh, I think, when I was telling that to him. Um, I, 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 it's an example, I think, right there. <laughs> he went a little too far. It was, this was, this was overcorrection right there. Um, I don't think he needed to go quite that far, you know, wrestle back, don't fight back. That's not what I mean. Um, he took me very literally. I said, okay, you know, fight back. You know, we got, uh, we got the ice out there. We got ice Thursday night and a little bit on Friday, I suppose, and. And it's pretty, pretty when, um, 
when the sun's off of it and that type of thing. But you've probably experienced this throughout your life, and that is going down the road or going somewhere, and the car starts to slip and slide, and you got to correct, right? you got to counter steer, whatever you need to do, get off the gas, kind of correct uh, the slide. Uh, what you don't want to do, though, is overcorrect. Overcorrect is really bad. Overcorrecting can hurt you, and it can hurt people around you. Um, you probably hear a lot about this. Uh, somebody driving up the road and ca- their car kind of goes off onto the edge, you know, of the road into the gravel there. That in and of itself, not a big deal. Just kind of bring the car back on the road. But if, if you panic and you jerk the wheel back onto the road and overcorrect, you might get into oncoming traffic. Or, I mean, there's all kinds of things that could happen. Overcorrection. Overcorrection is good. It is not good. Correction's good. Proper correction. Correction inside of the scope and size of the problem. That's okay. But overcorrection can be very, very dangerous, not just to you, but it can be bad and harmful and dangerous to other people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you again that we can be today challenged. Put a put a thought in us, put a put a spark in our hearts, at least to ask the next question, Father, today. Uh, that we can be challenged in our our desire and our zeal for your kingdom. We can be challenged in our service to your kingdom. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Father, for, for abrupt words that you use today um, that cause us to change, cause us to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Misdirected or misguided excitement or zeal can be bad. You know, that's a lot of power, the Holy Spirit working through somebody, uh, the kingdom of Christ working through somebody. That's a lot of power, and if you point it in the wrong direction, if you point it the wrong way or use it for the wrong thing, that can be pretty serious. Uh, But overcorrecting, overcorrecting and not using that power at all, That can be very dangerous, and it can be hurtful to you and hurtful to others. You know, we've been talking about being fit to serve, you know, survival of the fit. All the things we've talked about through this service are things also that we give our lives over to when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So it does, in fact, affect our eternal survival. We've been talking about areas to serve, the questions we ask when it's time to serve, and last week, we started talking about spiritual gifts. Uh, these, these, these areas or aspects or qualities of our life given to us specifically by Christ himself, by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, working in our lives to do a particular thing. They are not natural abilities. Uh, it's not something you're born with. It's a power that you're given in order to accomplish the task. That task may be for the rest of your life. That task may be, you know, for an afternoon, <laughs> <laughs> you know, these are these incredible gifts that we have. Uh, the issue in the Corinthian church, we, we hear about these gifts in Romans and in 1 Corinthians mainly. We hear about them throughout Scripture, but primarily that's where we focus. The issue in the Corinthian church uh, was something quite unique. Everyone in the church was eagerly desiring spiritual gifts. They were eagerly desiring you know, whatever it was, whether it was uh, service or speaking in tongues or miracles or healing or all these things, you know, 
and they wanted these in their lives, and then they wanted to show them, show them to other people, show them to other folks in the church, show them to people outside of the church. In fact, they wanted these spiritual gifts in their lives kind of as a statement of their faith or a statement of their importance in the church. They cared a great deal about self-edification, self-worth, uh, self-growth, rather than using these things for the upbuilding and growth of the church and people around them. Uh, in fact, particularly speaking in different languages and tongues, that was a big thing. Uh, miracles of healing, um, uh, performance of miracles in the church, they, they wanted that. They wanted to show that, and they wanted everybody to see it. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says this. You could turn there, but we're going to spend most of our time in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 is where we're going to spend most of our time today. But just setting the stage, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul writes this. Anyone who speaks in a tongue, you know, in a different language, they edify themselves. They're, they're just kind of building themselves up in the Corinthian church. But the one who teaches or prophesies or gives a message from God to the rest of the church they help the whole church. They, they edify the rest of the church. Look, I get it. I would like every one of you guys to speak in tongues. But I'd rather you do something. He uses the word prophesy. I'd rather you do something that benefits and helps and edifies the entire congregation. That's what I'd rather you do. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, at least unless somebody interprets, so that the whole church might be built up. You see, they were going about this the wrong way. They really wanted... Hey, look, I can perform this miracle, or I can do this thing, and I want you to see this. I want you to hear this. Not for your own benefit, but for mine. That's, that's what I want. They wanted to show gifts. They wanted to compare gifts. They compared gifts in the Corinthian church. My gift is greater. My service is greater. They were claiming gifts and prophecy from the Holy Spirit that weren't even from the Holy Spirit. They were saying things against Christ. They were talking and teaching things that were against the gospel. Not in its totality, but parts here and areas there. And this is one of the things Paul had to address. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now look, about the gifts of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. When you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. This is what, they're, what is happening in the Corinthian church. They're being led astray. Therefore, I want you to know. No one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. These are some of the things that are happening in your church. People are going off on their own and have their own kind of philosophy and their own kind, and they're claiming that this is a word of God. Look, nobody's going to say Jesus cursed if they're speaking for God himself. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So bear in mind, some of these gifts that you guys are uh, want to show and you want to teach and you want everybody to see, some of these things are just being made up in your own imagination. They're not even gifts from the Holy Spirit. You need to be very careful of this, says Paul. Now, some of these examples in Corinthians are examples of deliberate false teaching. But many people in the Corinthian church are really examples of a misdirected zeal, a misguided zeal. But at the very least, there is desire there. At the very least, there's desire. I want some sort of manifestation of the Spirit in my life. I want somewhere to serve and some way to do it. Now, I'm going about it the wrong way. Okay, I get it. 
but I still want to serve the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And while the way the Corinthian church was doing it is not the proper way, it's not to be self-serving, overcorrection to the point of stagnation or overcorrection to the point of apathy and not doing anything and not caring at, caring at all, that's no service at all. That's no service. We don't want to overcorrect here. And this is sometimes pe why people get bashful about their spiritual gifts. Well, I shouldn't say that, or I shouldn't claim that, or I shouldn't try that, or I shouldn't teach that, or I shouldn't do this. Well, you're overcorrecting. <laughs> you're overcorrecting to the point of not doing anything at all. Matthew chapter 5, our job, our goal, we read in Romans chapter 12, which is to make your bodies, your lives, yourselves living sacrifices to Jesus. Jesus puts the Christian in his place in Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. You. He's talking to people who are giving their lives over to him. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Remember, overcorrection in our spiritual gifts to the point that we don't want to do anything. This is lighting a lamp and putting a bowl over top of it. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to the entire house. You are the light of the world. They put it on a stand, and it gives light to the entire house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I think most people in this room would agree that this is a dark world, right? I mean, we, we hear time after time, notice situation after situation, sometimes on a global scale, sometimes even just our own personal lives, of the bad stuff. Some of you in this congregation have seen a lot of the bad stuff in your lives. I read something the other day, you know, this cartoon character said, I'd rather, I'd like to go five minutes without another global catastrophe. Five minutes. That's what it feels like sometimes. Another catastrophe over the past couple of days over in, in Russia and Europe in that area. It's a dark world, I think most of us would agree. You are the light. What happened? You're the light in this room. Don't nod along and tell me it's a dark world. Don't do that. You're the light. What happened? Where'd you go? Your lives. Your homes. Your families. Your jobs. Whoever you're working next to on the line. I don't care what it is. You're the light. What happened? I'm the light. You see... These are the kinds of things when I read through stuff like this, I look at myself in the mirror and I ask myself that question, what happened, man? If Jesus calls you the light of the world, you get to interact with people around you all the time and every day. Are you being that light? Are you just adding to the darkness? See, sometimes it's, it's very easy for us to say, look, it's not my role or it's not my job or I'm not... I don't have the experience or I don't have the time or I don't have all this stuff and somebody else is going to take this on. I call this being humble, right? No, we call it just checking out into apathy and stagnation when we are even given gifts to serve Jesus Christ. 
Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Remember, your walk with Christ is very, very personal. It's never meant to be private. Now, there's private aspects, right? A prayer you might give or not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing and giving or so on and so forth. But your life as a service to Jesus' kingdom is never meant to be private. Very, very personal, though. James and John and Peter, they are great examples of misdirected or misguided zeal, excitement, desire, wanting to serve Jesus' kingdom, and yet misguided in many, many ways. Peter, Peter vowed to follow Jesus wherever he would go, and, and, and Jesus called him out on it. He denied that he would ever let anything happen to Jesus. Jesus rebuked him for it. And then he cut off the guard's ear in the garden, for which he was rebuked again. And again and again and again. Peter's always rebuked. That was misguided zeal. Yet Christ used Peter in amazing ways throughout history. We read about the man, Simon Peter. And yet there's many ways, many times, his excitement was just off the mark. But Jesus was able to focus that power into where he wanted it and what he wanted Peter to do and how he wanted Peter to live and what he wanted Peter to give in order to build the church. James and John, again, another great example of misguided zeal. Actually, they're a fantastic example of misguided zeal. They were following Jesus. Jesus was insulted or humiliated by a town, and James and John said, let's call fire down upon them. And Jesus looks at him for our parlance and says, really, guys, come on, <laughs> really, fire, you want me to call fire down upon him? We're not doing that. This is where he gives them the name, sons of thunder. He says, but I can use that desire. I can point that power in the right direction, which is exactly what he does. And they become pillars of the church. Who was Christ unable to use? Who were unable to serve? Basically this, those who walked away. Those who gave up. Those who said, we're done. You know, we, we talked about this a little bit last year, the crazy things we hear about in Scripture when Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and there's a large portion of his followers that simply said, we're done here, this is too much. He couldn't use them. He couldn't use the ones who chose to do nothing. In Judas's case, he couldn't use the ones who cared more about themselves than they cared about Christ and his church. You see, this is the parable of the talents we read about in Matthew chapter 25. This parable that Jesus gives is about the tragedy of wasted opportunity and wasted gifts in our lives. And it's not talking about one's natural ability. It's talking about the gifts that the Spirit gives us and then presenting us with these moments, ways, and times, even lifestyles, in which we can exercise those incredible gifts, invest those incredible gifts in the lives of others. And yes, you, if you want to, you can think about these four walls and investing your gifts in here, and that's good. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but go bigger as well. You know, go, go to your workplace, go to your hobbies, go to your, your circle of friends. You know, this is a, a grand life that you've been given. And there's different places and different ways in which we can invest. Uh, again, though, it's not a natural ability. I like to preach. I like to speak. A lot of people don't believe this. They don't know this. You can ask my, my wife about this. That's not a natural thing for me. 
Um, in fact, people call me a liar. That's actually the opposite of my natural tendency. My natural tendency is quiet, subdued, wallflower type person. Um, in fact, I used to get made fun of about that from friends growing up. Um, two of them in particular. Jerk. They were. No. But they knew me quite well, and they knew that that was my actual normal tendency. My wife will tell you the same thing. So it's not about a natural ability. It's about this, this, this gift that Jesus is able to give you in order to do certain things, in order to go to work in certain moments and places and times in your life. That's what these things are and what he talks about in Matthew chapter 25, chances and gifts. And I like the way the NIV talks about this in Matthew chapter 25 because they don't use the word talent in the NIV. They use the term bags of gold, the phrase bags of gold. And I like that because when we use talent, sometimes we get confused and we think, well, it's something I'm naturally good at. I'm not talking about that. Remember, talent's just a measurement of something that, that you are given. And so they use bags of gold. But it's not about the money. It's about the gifts that you've been given. It starts out, for the kingdom of heaven is light. Now, this whole discourse starts out with that. But where we want to pick it up is verse 14, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. The kingdom of heaven is like, in verse 14, it says, again, it, that's the kingdom of heaven, will be like. This is not some future or completed or completely realized kingdom. It's the kingdom completed now. It's the kingdom here. It's the kingdom yesterday and the kingdom tomorrow. It's the kingdom that's happening moment by moment, second by second, right here in your life, and you're in the middle of it. That's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. This is what the kingdom will be like. Like a man going on a journey, long journey. He called his servants to entrust his wealth to them. We know this. This is Jesus, right? Jesus going on a long journey. Jesus not abandoning us. In fact, actually becoming more close to us than he ever was. That's the Holy Spirit indwelling, living in each Christian. All right, but... He goes away. The person of Jesus goes away for a time. This is what he's talking about. The kingdom of heaven is going to be like this. The master of the house, the owner, goes away for a while, and he entrusts his wealth to his servants. One, two, three, servants of Jesus Christ. Three people who know Jesus. Three people who understand Jesus. Three people who understand things about the master. Three people. One, two, three. He gives something to them. What has he given to you? Same thing he's given to me. Your life, your time, gifts of the Spirit, and not just gifts of the Spirit, opportunities in which to use those gifts, to apply those gifts to his kingdom. That's what he's given. All right? So let's remember, don't get, don't get tunnel vision on the actual coin money here. He's giving a gift. We've been talking about gifts of the Spirit, and we'll continue to talk about gifts of the Spirit. To one of them, he gave five bags of gold. To another, he gave two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. This is the grace poured out upon us by God's decree and his design. So no matter if it's place or time or opportunity or season, also the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the ability to do work that we've been given, determined by God, decreed by God in your life and in mine, which means those are going to look different. It's going to have different amounts. It's going to have different times. It's going to have different seasons. It's going to have different moments of opportunity according to his ability. This is determined by God. Five, two, one. It's easy, I suppose. 
for the one that has two to look at the one who has five and say, I wish I had that. It's easy, I suppose, for the one who has five to look at the one with two and say, wow, he doesn't have nearly the responsibility I have, or so on and so forth. No, this is decreed not by me, not by you, but by God the Holy Spirit granting us these wonderful gifts in your life, your life itself. That's what good stewardship is, by the way. Good stewardship is about your life, not just an area of your life. Good stewardship is about your entire life, everything that you are, everything that you've been given, every moment that you're given. And sometimes we make mistakes in those moments, don't get me wrong, but good stewardship is about your life. And then he went on his journey, then he left. He left us with gifts. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work. He didn't let the grass grow under his feet. He went. He sought. He looked. He studied. He found. He tried. He invested the life that he'd been given. Every time you invest, there's a risk, right? Every time. And so he's investing the life he's been given, and sometimes there's a good return. Sometimes there's not as good a return. Sometimes there's not a return that's very noticeable, but he keeps investing, and he keeps looking, and he keeps serving, not himself, he's serving Jesus. Why? Because everything that he's going to gain, all the fruit that he's going to gain, he already knows goes back to the master, not to him. Forget about that. That's what the Corinthians wanted. The Corinthians wanted all the fruit going back to themselves. Not the servant of Jesus Christ. All the fruit goes back to the master. And he cared about the master. He loved the master. And he had opportunity after opportunity, gift after gift, ability after ability through the Holy Spirit working in him. It wasn't something he was born with. It was something granted to him from Jesus. And he looked. He worked. He found. He talked to. He spent time investing the five bags of gold. So also the one with two bags of gold. And he gained two more. He wasn't wasting time either. He could have. He could have sat and complained for a while. Or he could have said, I don't have the same gifts or the same opportunity as the first guy. Therefore, I'm just going to give up. I don't have that much. I can't play a song. I can't sing a song on Sunday morning. Therefore, I'm not going to serve. I can't teach a class. Therefore, I'm not going to serve. I can't do this or I can't do that. This guy with five, he can do that. Let him do it. No, the guy with two bags of gold, he went right away and he put his, his life to work. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. He wasted it. Wasted it. That's your life. That's your life. Dig a hole in the ground. You know what digging a hole in the ground, putting it in there, you know what that is? Playing it safe. Playing it safe. There ain't anything about serving the kingdom of Jesus that's safe. You invest, you find, you give. That's how you invest your life. Dug a hole in the ground, hit his master's money. After a long time, the master of the servants returned and he settled accounts. After a long time, we think. Jesus tarries, don't we? And we'd like him to come back today, yesterday. You know, Every time I think about that, I think, well, what if he came back the day before I accepted the truth of Jesus? <laughs> that would be bad, right? 
So let him take his time. Let him take his time. He goes away on a long journey, but eventually he returns. In a long journey, which means our investment, as we're using our lives for good stewardship, teaching, healing, giving, showing mercy, prophecy, we'll go through all of this stuff. Sometimes it takes a while for that fruit to be seen. Sometimes it takes after your life for that fruit to be seen. I was told one time when I was preaching, I was talking to another preacher who had been preaching for 160 years or so, and I said, uh, I said, I really feel like sometimes I'm just planting the seed. And he laughed at me. I said, what? I said, why are you laughing? I said, that was a pretty good, humble answer right there, you know? He said, you might not be planting a seed, man. He, you, might be, you might just be preparing the soil. He said, you're getting ahead of yourself. He said, you might, be, you might just be cleaning the equipment as far as I know. He said, some of this stuff isn't shown until years later. You might not even be around. That's the way our investments work sometimes. The master was gone for a long time. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five and said, Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. I love how he strolls into the master's home with confidence. That's what it is. Are you confident? Are you confident? There's days I'm confident. There's days I'm really not confident. Yesterday, I, I didn't do anything. I helped somebody move, and then I didn't do anything. I think I gave him seven pounds eating cookies yesterday, <laughs> watching movies. Sam was spending the night down at his cousin's in Cincinnati. It was just me and Ashley, so we wrote that day off, right? Just, you know. But what about service in the kingdom? What about service in your home? What about service where you go to work? What about service in just every interaction that you have with people? What if a spiritual gift that you have, and we'll go through this, remember what was on our list, what if it is showing mercy? What if that's your gift? It doesn't actually require anything but the condition of the heart. Showing mercy. And your whole life is built around showing mercy. You know what you would do? You would walk into the master's home with confidence. It's time to celebrate. Not with arrogance, not with cockiness, but with confidence. You know he's going to celebrate with you because you've put this life to work. And what does he say? What does the master say? The master replied in verse 21. This is where this line comes from, by the way. You want to hear this line. Everybody says they want to hear this line. Everybody says they want to stand for Jesus. They want to hear this line. This context is where this line comes from. Well done, good and faithful servant. This context is where you find that line. This, it's not found in the context of accepting Jesus and then existing. You don't find that. You don't find this as using Jesus as an insurance policy. You don't find it there. You find accepting the truth of the kingdom of Jesus Christ and allowing this change to come over your life. And Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. You're probably going to make some mistakes along the way. I'm sure this investor made mistakes along the way. Every investor I've ever met made mistakes along the way. Jesus didn't bring those up, does he? He doesn't point those out. He doesn't care about that. He doesn't even speak about those things. Well done. Well done. And then he goes to the one who has two bags of gold. And he comes in. He says, hey, you gave me two bags of gold, and I've doubled that. 
And Jesus replies, well, you did okay. I mean, you didn't do nearly as well as the guy with five bags of gold, right? I mean, he was a lot more important than you were. I don't even know who let you in here anyway. <laughs> he didn't say that. You were given two, not five. You were given this particular spiritual gift. You were given this moment, this opportunity. You used it to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And what does he say? Well done. Well done, good and faithful servants. Come and share in your master's happiness. Come and share in your master's happiness. You've been faithful with a little bit. I'm going to put you in charge of a lot. So one with five, one with two. Guys, don't compare gifts. Don't compare returns. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that in your mind. Very rarely do we ever actually do that out loud, but we do that in our minds, right? Quit that. Knock that off. You, you might as well not serve if that's what you're going to do. Don't, it, don't compare gifts. Don't compare fruit. Uh, you have no control over the fruit anyway. What you have control over, what I have control over, is obedience to Jesus. That's what we have control over. We have control over sacrifice. We have control over using these lives as, uh, or being good stewards of these lives, and then Jesus ends up giving or producing the fruit. These are two examples, both of these, of fruit for your investment. By the way, here, Jesus is not necessarily saying that you, if you invest one spiritual gift, you're going to receive another. That's not what he's suggesting. Sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. That's a little bit too self-centered if that's what we're thinking. He's telling us that if we invest the gifts that we have been given, the opportunities that we've been given, fruit will be multiplied in Christ's kingdom because of our labor. Now we get to the last guy. Then the man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man. I knew, right, that you're a hard man, that you had a moral standard, that you didn't want this life wasted, that this was a gift. You can read through the word of God and find this unflinching rock that will not be moved. Hard, right? I know that you're a hard man, harvesting where you're not sown, gathering where you're not scattered, scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out, and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. I was afraid. I was afraid I'd mess up. I was afraid I'd make a mistake. I was afraid I wouldn't like it. I was afraid I wasn't good enough. I wasn't smart enough. I was afraid I wouldn't like it because it took up too much time. I was just afraid of the whole thing. All I wanted to do was just exist in your house and in your kingdom. So I spent this time, or I squandered this time. Here's your original investment. No growth, no change. Verse 26, his master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. This is a parable from Jesus' mouth. You know what bothers me the most about that? You wicked and lazy servant. The word servant. That bothers me the most about that. He doesn't say, you wicked and lazy enemy. You wicked and lazy someone I don't know. By his own admission, the servant knew the master. I know what kind of a guy you are. I've learned. I've been to church, Jesus I knew this, you wicked and lazy. So how many times 
does Jesus say to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, by your own answer, you condemn yourself, you wicked and lazy servant. It's a scary thing. But I'll tell you, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be the idea of a wicked and lazy servant. It could be one that invests the every moment that they have. And by the way, again, through the mistakes of our investment. He says, so you knew who I was. You realized who I was. You knew that I harvested where I had not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed. Verse 27, then you should have put the money on deposit with a banker. So that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. In other words, you should have done the very least. The very least. Someone wants you to come and pray with them. At least show up. At least go to the hospital room before you don't know what to say. Right? At least serve. This mercy thing always gets me. Like you don't. There's nothing else you need. Show mercy. Be a peacemaker. He says, you should have done the very least. And even that, even that is a joy for Jesus. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, what they have will be taken from them. That's the second time Jesus says that in scripture. We'll get to there in a minute. Verse 30. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Church, there is. You've got, you've got to study this stuff. You've got to read this stuff on your own. You have to apply it. By definition, there is a reaction to faith. If there is no reaction, there is no faith. You know that, right? There is a reaction to saving faith. I, I, you can't have the excuse, I didn't know. We heard it last week from James through Randy. James says, a faith that doesn't change you, a faith that has no resolve, a faith with no works is a worthless faith. This is what Jesus is talking about here. Yes, look, forget about, forget about the building, just your life. Investing your life in the kingdom of Jesus, wherever you are, whatever you do, conversations you have with your kids, conversations you have with your spouse, your grandkids, whatever it may be, going to work, going to play, the way you treat people, the way you talk to people, investing your life in Jesus' kingdom because he's the one that's going to reap the fruit from this. There is a reaction to your faith. If there's no reaction, there is no faith. You cannot change the words of Scripture. That's what faith is. There's no such thing as trusting Jesus and going your whole lives and squandering opportunity. Okay, look, I get it. It's done in different ways. It's done in different amounts. It's even done in different times in your life as opposed to the lives of others. We see that clearly in Jesus' parable here, but it is a life well lived. So you can't double it. So what? Do what you can. That's the message to the last guy. We don't want to be given to fantasies or self-promotion. 
envy, covetousness, none of that stuff like the Corinthians. But we dare not overcorrect and bury it in the ground. Verse 20, that's what verse 29 is talking about. For whoever has will be given more, and they're going to have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have, it's going to be taken from them. He says this originally when he's talking about study and wisdom and knowledge of the word of God. Those who have just a little bit of this wisdom and knowledge and understanding, as they pursue that, it grows. And there's more and more and more. But those who have just a little bit and don't pursue it, even what they have is just going to be taken away. Spiritual gifts, opportunities, moments, times, understanding, eyes being opened, joy in your service. Even that's going to be taken away. I hate it. I'll do what Jesus said, but I hate it. More and more, there's joy in the service that's given to you. He says, here's the gift. Here's the chance. Here's the opportunity. Notice also the other two servants, by the way. You know, Cody's been talking about this in student ministry. And they're walking out right now. Apparently, I'm taking too long. He's been talking about this in student ministry. He says, among other things, when it comes to spiritual gifts, you have to own it and you have to try it. You have to own it and you have to try it. We see the journeying man walk away, go on, a, go on his trip, the master of the house go on his trip and tell the first two ter- servants to invest their gifts. Where did he tell them to invest them? How did he tell them to invest them? How long did he want them to invest? When did he take them to the place or service or set up the meeting? When did he tell them this or order them to do that and exactly place down this much here and collect this much there? He didn't do any of that stuff. He said, here's your gift. Here's your opportunity. You know me, says the master, by their own admission. Now invest your life. Sometimes over here, some places over here. Sometimes you're going to make a mistake here. That's all right. Continue to invest your life in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Because I promise you this, Galatians 6, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. He won't be mocked. We try to talk ourselves in all kinds of things and out of all kinds of things. I do the same thing. But God will not. It's impossible for him to be mocked. You're going to reap what you sow when it comes to fruit in the kingdom, when it comes to spiritual gift and opportunity. You reap what you sow. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh is going to reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Do not become weary of doing good, for at the proper time, it takes a while sometimes, at the proper time, we'll reap a, a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, these are gifts Jesus has given Let us do good to all people. And and note the last line there. Especially, I mean, if nothing else, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this challenge, this incredible challenge. As we mentioned, Father, I sometimes skip over this this passage, this, this story, this parable, because I have to respond. And, and it stretches me a lot. Help me to respond. Help us to respond. Help us to realize that our lives are a gift that you've given to us. You've plopped it down our laps, Father. Help us to use this gift so that others may know who you are. 
That's it. Father, I do, I do want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I, I even want to hear about your corrections and all the times I messed up. That's fine, but I want to hear good and faithful servant. We all do, Father. Help us. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing. Just as a reminder, the next three weeks are pretty big. Next week, we start breaking down the actual gifts and what they actually mean, the little nuances, so that you can begin to look in your own life and see how God is maybe directing you towards that area of service, and maybe he's not, okay? We're going to start breaking those down. Then we're going to have our missions, meet, our missions uh, Sunday on the 13th, and then we're going to continue with this series. We're going to get into the Exodus story and the various ways in which they serve and what happens when they don't. Um, some weird stuff. So let's thank God for our time. Father, we thank you for the love Jesus has for us and the many, many lessons that we can learn. But more than that, we thank you that every lesson we learn, we get a chance to apply. Sometimes we apply it bad. Sometimes we got to learn and grow. Help us with that. Help us, help us to grow in Christ, to serve his kingdom, not our own store of eternal treasures, that that is our definition. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.